we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Let's restart the entire service, guys. I'm just kidding. Welcome, everybody, to Redemption Church. Now y'all cheer for that. Hey, I really am happy to see everybody in the room. I love you guys. Love worship with you. And I'm so thankful for everybody joining us online. One of the great things about joining us online is we edit out all the mistakes. You never see a single mistake ever. No matter how you're finding us, podcasts, live stream, YouTubes, all of it, We bless you in the name of Jesus. You know it's October in Plano, Texas, when your Texas Rangers baseball season is about to end. You know that it's October in Plano, Texas, when the temperature drops a little bit below 100 and everybody rejoices and smiles like it's a miracle. You know it's... October in Plano, Texas, when your Dallas Cowboys have a quarterback controversy. Cooper Rush. Cooper. No one? I'm the only one? All right. And it must be October in Plano, Texas, when Redemption Church starts a spooky sermon series. Raise your hand if you've experienced a spooky sermon series here before. We're so glad uh, to have you still here. And everybody that's never uh, experienced it before, please stick with us. They're kind of different, and they're wild, and we've got some really crazy ones. And I've, I think we've got a really good one this year, brand new Spooky Sermon Series, and we're calling it Scary Words. Somebody say Scary Words. Scary Words. We have a great tradition of a Spooky Sermon Series around here. We've talked about monsters like the blob, like vampires, like zombies. We've uh, uh, talked about biblical horror stories. We have two complete volumes of gross, icky, strange stories in your Bible that you never learned in Sunday school. And then we have other series like Costumes, Fear, and Darkness, and there's even more I couldn't even remember. But I'm excited to present to you the scariest words in your Bible. There are scary stories in your Bible. There are scary themes in Scripture. And this month we're going to cover, we're going cover to cover to find you the scariest words from God's Word. I want you to join us for every installment of this series. I believe it's going to be an interesting series, but it's also going to be a challenging series. And before we jump into today's Word, I want to know what you think. We have our anonymous text line. We're going to throw that up there. 214-856-0550. I want you to tell us. What do you think the scariest word in the Bible is? You can go ahead and get out your phone right now. Text us, 214-856-0550. It's anonymous. We we won't know, but you let us know what it is you think is the scariest word in the Bible. And this is our anonymous text line. You should know it. 
because anytime you got questions about life, you got questions about Jesus, you got a, a questions about Redemption Church, you come right into that text line and let us know. All right, some context to our story today. We got a context that we've got to give you. Uh, Israel is the people of God. Everyone say Israel. And then we got Philistines. Everyone say Philistines. That's the enemies of Israel. And then we've got a fella named Eli. Say Eli. That's the high priest of Israel. And then we got the Ark of the Covenant. That's the manifest presence of God. You follow this? Remember it? Got it. We're turning today to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 1. We're actually going to read the entire chapter. It's a fascinating chapter. Stick with me. Somebody say, yeah, when you're ready. 1 Samuel 4 and 1. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Verse 3, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Verse 4, so the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Verse 5, when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, verse 7, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no. Nothing like this has happened before. Verse 8, we're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Verse 9, be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated, and every man, man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Verse 12, that same day a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting 
on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? Verse 17, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. We'll stop there for now. We've not yet revealed the scary word. We've read a lot. but We have not yet told you the scary word for today. But we will soon. Israel was at war with a group of people called the Philistines. You're paying attention. Very good. And the, the high priest of Israel, his name was Eli. Very good. And Israel had lost part of this battle in the very beginning, right? Yeah. They, they lost how many men in verse 2? They lost 4,000 in the very beginning. Verse 2, they lost 4,000 men. And they're at war. Instead of seeking the will of God, instead of worshiping God, instead of praying to God, is the Israelites decided to... Go get a religious figurehead. Go get a religious item. Go get their religion, and we're going to take our religion out before us. And the piece of their religion is called the Ark of the Covenant. They decided to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. But guess what? God refused to be their lucky rabbit's foot that day. They decided, well, we'll get the Ark of the Covenant. And they took that. But God obviously did not go with them. I'm telling you, you can have the trappings of worship, but not have the God who is to be worshipped. You can sing songs, but not be in the presence of the Lord. You can come to a church and not be in the presence of the Lord. You can hear a sermon, say amen, and walk out and say, wow, we were with God today, but it wasn't true. You were just with the outward symbols of that God. You were just with the outward symbols of religion. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. So they decided to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. We dare not place our hope in religious traditions and relics of the past. We must remember to take our full hope and place it in a living God. Is your hope in a living God today? Do you understand that He's an alive God? That we don't have to go to a building. 
A building is not a living God. The, the screens here, as useful as they are, they aren't the living God. And some churches have big signs out front. You know, they have marquees out there, and they, they even put funny little things on them. You know, seven days without prayer makes one week. But that's not God. Some people think, oh, that's, that's church, that's religion, that's God. No, that's what the Israelites thought too. And they, they bring those things into battle with them. But those things don't fight your battles for you. It is the Lord God who is the living God that we need to take into battle with us. And bad things happened, didn't they? And we fast forward to the lone Benjamite surviving the battle and running to spread the news. And as he runs to spread the news, Jeremy, he sees the high priest named Eli sitting on a chair. And he goes and tells him the bad news. Verse 17. The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. And the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark has been captured. Picture this. Eli, the army has suffered heavy losses. How heavy? Well, we have the 4,000. And then, verse 10, Israel lost how many? 30,000. Good Lord. Talk about heavy losses. That's some bad news, don't you agree? Eli, that's not all. I'm really sorry to tell you, but your two sons, the priests, Eli, your priest sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Eli, your own sons who represent your future lineage and also the future of Israel's priesthood, one day, you had hopes that Phinehas, that Hophni, might be the next high priest. But Eli, they're dead. They died in battle. That's some bad news, isn't it? It's bad news. And Eli, the ark, the ark of God has been captured. Verse 18, throw it up. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy and he had led Israel 40 years. When the lone Benjamin, Benjamin with torn clothes, dust on his head, Weary from a battle, weary from running for his life. When he comes, he has this whole laundry list of bad news. But then he mentions the ark of God. The news of military defeat and the death of soldiers, that was really bad news, really bad news. Can't make that up. That is really bad. The death of his sons had perished in battle. What heartbreak that is. Really bad news. But 
when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell to his death. He fell off his chair and he died. Not at the mention of his sons. He loved his sons, but that didn't do it. It wasn't the terrible loss. Oh, Israel has lost. No, it was the ark uh, has been captured. And those were his last moments. Those were the last words that Eli heard. And he fell and he died right there. While this was happening, something else was occurring. At the very same time, Israel had lost this battle. And Eli heard the news. Eli had died. Now Israel is left without a high priest. At this very moment, another part of the story is taking place. Verse 19. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant. And she was near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and she gave birth. But she was overcome by her labor pains. Verse 20, as she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she, the unnamed pregnant woman, daughter-in-law of Eli, she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. Verse 22, she said again, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Today I want to teach you one of the scariest words in your Bible. It is the word Ichabod. Say Ichabod. Most people think about Ichabod, Crane, and his battle with the headless horseman. Not that story. It's a different story. Everyone say Ichabod. Now, although Ichabod is used as a name here, it's, a, it's actually a name. It has a simple meaning. And in this one utterance, I believe it's one of the scariest utterances in your Bible. Ichabod means plainly no glory. Literally, it means no glory. Or as the woman said twice, the glory has departed from Israel. The birth of a child is a glorious, joyous occasion. I've got wonderful friends who are expecting babies. I've got wonderful friends who have recently had babies. And those ladies are on cloud nine. There is one such lady that she's been fighting cancer in our connect group. We've been praying for this sweet lady. Lord, help her to be able to have a baby. And she said the other day, I've got great news. I've got morning sickness. And so now we're praying, Lord, give her morning sickness every day. Give it to her till she gives birth to this wonderful baby. Isn't that wonderful news? That is so great. That is so great. The birth of a child, what a joyous, joyous thing. 
the pain of childbirth quickly becomes a memory when the mother sees her child and holds that baby in her arms. But in Samuel chapter 4, there is no joy at the birth of this baby boy. The mother lays dying in despair. The woman attending the birth tries to give her hope. Don't despair. You're going to give birth to a son. You've given birth to a son. It's a son. Your family line is going to continue. You're going to give your late husband, Phinehas, an heir. Even if you don't make it, this baby's going to make it. And that family line will continue. You just gave birth to a future high priest of Israel. There should be hope. Verse 20 says that the mother did not respond or pay attention. Can you imagine that woman attending her, holding the baby right there? Here he is. And the mother looks away. She will not look. She will not respond. She will not pay attention to this gift of God. Can you imagine not paying attention to a newborn baby? She named the boy Ichabod. That's as much attention as she gave that child. She uttered a phrase. She said, Ichabod. Ichabod. And these were the words she said as she passed from life into death. And her last words are, she said, verse 22, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Can I tell you, there is something worse than bad news. It was bad news about the loss on the battlefield. It was gut-wrenching news to hear about the loss of sons who were the future of Israel's priesthood. But there is something worse than bad news. When Eli heard about the ark, his body gave out. He fell to the ground and he broke his neck. It was like hearing that news, his body just lost all balance and all will to live. The mother of the newborn baby, she also seemed to lose her will to live at the news of God's glory departing. I don't know what you think is bad news today, but let me scare you for a moment. There is something worse than the election not turning out like you thought it should turn out. There's something far worse. Somebody needs to hear that because some people are like, oh, I don't know. That's probably the worst thing that's ever happened. You, though every day after an election, people are like, oh, woe is me. The sky is falling every time. Let you listen up. There is something far worse than election not going your way. There is something worse than the economy not doing well. There is something worse than the gas prices going up. There is something worse than not finding toilet paper at the Walmart. It's really bad, y'all, but there is something worse. There is something worse than a hurricane wiping out all that you own. There is something worse than losing your job. And there is something worse than losing your marriage. Whatever have you have been facing, I want to tell you and I want to warn you and it ought to scare you that there's something worse. 
Some of you might be going through the worst problem you ever had. Recently, our family felt like our summer was the worst season of our life. It was a very hard season. Listen up, family. It was a hard season, but can I tell you, there is something worse than being in the hospital. There is something worse than not being able to get well. There is something worse than things not going your way, the way you wanted them to be. If we lose a battle, we can always train new soldiers to go out and fight a battle. But if God's glory is gone, then there is no need to even try anymore. If we lose some people in the ministry, in the church, surely God will send us some new people to do the work. And we'll find those people and we'll teach them Bible studies and we'll see God show up in their life and it'll be so good. But if God's presence is gone, it doesn't matter who comes. If God's presence is gone, it doesn't matter who comes or who goes. If God's presence is gone, there's no point in doing this anymore. Do you understand that? If we have to bury a loved one after a time of mourning and heartache, we will understand how our lost loved one wants us to be happy again and and live life again. That's That's a really hard thing to go through. But if you lose that loved one, eventually if you don't give up hope, you can make it again. You can you can keep trying and you can find a happy life again. It's possible. But if God is no longer to be found, then we will only end up like the mother who died in her pain and despair. We will only end up like the high priest whose body gave out and he fell dead. Other things may seem more urgent, but God's presence is always more important. Other things may seem more urgent, but God's presence is always more important. Do you believe that? Does your life hold that as true? The war with the Philistines seemed more urgent at the time. Verse 2, they, they lost those 4,000 people. They're like, well, we got to do something. This is everything right now. We got this war, and we got to go win this war, whatever it is. To win this war, we got to do it. So they, they hurried off to face the battle that seemed more urgent at the time. Let me tell you, we've got a lot of things that seem urgent in our life. We've got a to-do list that seems more and more urgent every day. There's this to-do list right now. I've got to go. My goodness, I've, there's, this, there's this problem at the house. We got to go fix this problem. When is the pastor going to finish? Because we got to go home. We got to finish this problem right now. When is the pastor? Like that's actually true right now. What are you doing? Take you hurry. We got to go home. The things on your to-do list, just like Israel's battle, it just seems more urgent at the time. But can I tell you, there is nothing more important than the presence of God. There's nothing more important. Can I tell you, sometimes things are more urgent, but they're not more important. The phone's ringing right now. The fact that it's ringing right now makes it urgent. But you know full well it's just some spam bot calling you. 
Have you ever done something urgently only to find out, man, that wasn't important at all? My goodness. Every reality show sells you urgency to keep you back after the break. They've got a commercial coming up. They're going to sell you something really stupid. <laughs> but, but they're like, and the next champion of the sock hop rally game was, and then they f- focus in on everybody's face, and they're like, and the last face goes, and then they go to commercial. And you're like, oh, what happened? What did they see? Somebody won some stupid game that doesn't imp- have any bearing on my life whatsoever, but I'm going to sit through all of these stupid commercials, and then you get to it, and it's always something lame. It is every reality show out there. Sweetheart, you love HGTV shows, but every time they do this, they do it every time. Oh, my goodness, we're going to pull up the, the carpet. I wonder what's under it, and somebody goes, oh, commercial, every time. It doesn't matter if they found wood or didn't find wood under that carpet. It doesn't matter, but it sure seems urgent. I can tell you something. Urgency robs you from things that are important. You listen to me because your children sometimes come off as not urgent. Let them just go and play. Let them just go watch TV. Let them just go spend time elsewhere. But let me tell you, they aren't, it might not be urgent, but it is important. Dinner with your family doesn't seem urgent, but it's important. Prayer sometimes doesn't seem urgent, but let me tell you, it's important. There is the power of God that you need, and sometimes that's urgent, but not all the time. But let me tell you, all the time, it's important. Israel's having trouble in 1 Samuel chapter 4 because they confuse urgent and important. God's presence is gone. My gosh, that is both urgent and important. The scariest thought I can think is for God to leave me. There's a lot of scary thoughts. Vicky, Jeremy, we like to talk about scary movies. I like scary movies. It's hard to find a scary movie for me. I find a hard movie that scares me. I want to tell you the scariest movie happens in my mind. And it's where I call on God and he's not there. That would scare me. If the trumpet sounds and I'm still here, that is scary. If I open up the Bible and I ask God, please speak to me, and he doesn't speak to me, that's what's scary. That is absolutely scary. That's the scariest thought I can think of. Anybody, anybody agree with that? That is, that's scary, man. Hollywood can't capture that movie. That movie's scary. If I were to worship God and not feel his presence and love, I don't know what you are in a hurry to rush off to today, but being in God's presence, it might not seem more urgent, but I'm telling you, it's more important. I want to talk to you about God's gradual goodbye. Can you say those three words? God's gradual goodbye. Have you ever left a party gradually? 
So I'm going to leave. You're making a plan. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to do a lap. I'm going to go talk to some people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and you're, you're actually like, well, I'm about to leave. It was sure good to see you. I'm, I'm heading out. I'm heading out. And then there's the next person. Hey, I'm so long. I'm, it was really fun. Had a good time. I'm leaving. Hey, hey, it's good to see you. Love the dress. I'm leaving. Oh, Courtney, hey, we got to do lunch sometime. I'm out of here. I'm so good. Hey, Elizabeth, glad you're here. I'm so glad to be with you today, but I got to go. So, so. And it's like you, spend, you could show up at the party and start leaving. It takes forever to leave. And sometimes you'll accidentally take the lap again. I'm still here. Oh, by the way, I was supposed to talk to you, and now it's all ruined. You're never leaving that party. <laughs> You're trying to leave a party, but really, it's really terrible when you leave the party because it seemed like no one wanted to hang out with you. Am I the only one that has experienced such things? You leave the party, and people are like, yeah, yeah, okay, and... Now that party, you're out of there very quickly because it seems like no one wanted to hang out with you. And maybe as you take that last lap, you, you take that last turn and you glance back before you leave and you do it to even notice, to see, does anyone notice that you're leaving? And I've been on that, I've been on the side of no one noticed. And there you go, and you go get Brahms ice cream to feel better about yourself. There is a place in Scripture where God and His glory gradually depart. They gradually leave the party. In Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4, it's a really interesting vision. God's glory, the glory of God moves from the Ark of the Covenant that's in the most holy place, the holy, holy, holy place of the temple, the very center of the temple. And it says that God's glory gets up from the Ark of the Covenant where it's enthroned between the two cherubim, and the glory of God moves to the threshold of that room. God's glory was resident in the Holy of Holies, but because no one honored His presence, because no one wanted to hang out, no one wanted to honor that presence, His blessings and His glory, God's glory goes to the edge of the room and hovers there and waits there. Now, God's glory moves from that spot in this chapter and it, it stands in the outer room of the temple. So it's gone from the most inner room to the most outer room. And once again, there, God waits. It's like God pauses. It's like God turns around like you turn around at the party and go, does anybody want to hang out? Was, like, like, the worst thing at the party is when someone waves, but they're waving at someone behind you. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, I want to hang out. Oh, you're talking to Gloria? Gloria. Gloria, they want to hang out with you. That's God. He's, he's waiting at now the outer room of the temple. 
I want you to notice that no one noticed. No one notices when the glory of God leaves the most holy place. And no one notices when God is now at the threshold of the outer room of the temple. Nobody's like, hey, Jehovah God, hey, over here, man. Come on, have some punch. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's inviting God's glory back. God's glory goes from the temple, walks out the doors of the temple, and God walks to the very gate of the city. God is about to leave the city. And as God left the city, the evil Babylonian army marches upon the city. It is sad and scary that the army's arrival had the attention of the people, but God's departure went completely unnoticed. Are we aware of God's presence? Are we aware of his blessing? Are we aware of his glory? Is it possible that God has been saying his gradual goodbye and you have not even noticed? Has God gone from being in the very center of your life to maybe taking a few steps over here to see if you would notice? To take a few steps here and to see if you would notice, if you would change your center? This is a scary thought. What is this thought? It's the thought of Ichabod. It's the thought of no glory. It's the thought of God's glory departing. She named the son Ichabod because the glory of God has departed. When was the last time you know that you're in the glorious presence of God? When was the last time you worshiped or you prayed or you were, you were, you, you might not have even been doing anything like particularly religious, but that moment you felt the unmistakable presence of God. When was it? When was it? Has it been too long? Has it been a while since you felt that? Maybe, maybe there was a time in your life you really felt the presence of God, but that seems like a bygone era of time that no longer is your present reality? As we prepare our hearts to come talk to God, I want us to take time to love and honor His presence. We notice the problems in our life so readily and so quickly. Somehow we fail to notice God's gradual goodbye. Ichabod is one of the scariest words in the Bible. So let's talk about what the opposite of Ichabod is. If that's the scariest word, what's probably the best word? If Ichabod is God's glory departing, what's the word that is God's glory arriving? Whatever is the, the opposite of Ichabod, that's probably something we desperately need, wouldn't you agree? I won't keep you in suspense. I will tell you that Jesus is the opposite of Ichabod. Jesus is the glory of God come to us. 
The Ark of the Covenant represented the manifest presence of God. Well, guess what? Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, That glorious Shekinah presence of God that was resident behind the veil in the temple, Jesus is the presence of that same holy God. And He is the temple of God, not made with hands. And His flesh is even called the veil. Hebrews chapter 10 and 20 says that that flesh that was ripped is that veil revealing the glory that, that resided inside. If Ichabod is the glory departing, I want to tell you that Jesus is the glory of God coming. Jesus was born in Bethlehem a few miles south of Jerusalem. When Jesus came into the world, God's glory came into the world. When Jesus came, a glorious host of angels came and they sang in the night sky. Wonder what those words were. Here they are. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. What caused this singing? It, what caused this glorious display in the heavens? This proclamation that glory of God has come, it was that Jesus arrived here on earth. Oh, Jesus, you are the glorious God. And God, we cry out for your glory today. How long has it been since you felt the presence of God? What if God was saying his gradual goodbye to you? What would you do? Would you get a hold of him? Would you pray? Would you call on Him? Would you say, no, please don't leave. Please stay. If I were Israel in 1 John chapter 4, I would like to think that I would repent. I would like to think I would stop using relics like cross necklaces to be my spirituality. That I would like I would like my church attendance to be more than just how I tell other people that I'm a Christian. And I would like to invite His glory into the center of who I am. One of my favorite psalms is this. If it had not been for the Lord who is on my side, where would I be? I pray that often. I say, God, what would I do if you weren't here? What would I do if you weren't with me? I couldn't make it without you. That's been a phrase I tell the Lord often while I was going through all that hardship in the summer with my family. I just told the Lord, I can't make it without I would say it three times in a row. I don't know why. It just felt so good. I just told him. I can't make it without you. I can't make it without you. I can't make it without you. I wouldn't even want to try. In the middle of my hardship, instead of focusing on my hardship, I just went, I can't make it without you. I don't know what in the world's happening around me, but I can't make it without you. Lord knows what's going on with my son's health, but I can't make it without you. 
I wouldn't even want to try. I can't make it without you. I don't know if I've missed your will completely, Lord, but I can't make it without you. I've got a little girl in my home who's not getting well, and I don't know what to do about it, but I can't make it without you. I wouldn't even want to try. These altars are open for anybody. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us.